On the north side of Chicago It's the coolest bar in town And if you go up there You better just beware You're gonna find a bunch of clowns It's a mad, mad, crazy bar The whole damn place is just so bizarre Full of all the vice and sin where do we even begin? Tip your bartenders. <laughs> so this is it. This is our inaugural podcast. Um, I'll believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. When you hear it. When I hear it. Welcome to as the ale house turns. Yes. Well, we got. I, I I didn't know what a uh, podcast was until the other night. I never heard one, but I did participate in one. Um, what was it? it? Was Connor? I wish we should give them a plug. I forget their names, and I think it was called nice. Happy Hour with Change. Yeah, is something podcast. like that. Yeah, very nice. But young uh, hold up, hold up a second. We've been talking about this podcast for about a We've year. We've been talking about it. Yeah. Um, because your blog is well-read by many, many folks. By very sophisticated people. But um, 2001 called, and they want their blog back, so it's time for you to move on to a different medium because most people don't read blogs anymore. See, they do. And I have very loyal fans. And and something I believe in is loyalty. And my fans deserve me, and I don't want to let them down. All right, well, so we're giving them a new outlet. Well, people, there's some people more audio-visual than um, Okay, so, what can people come to expect of this podcast? Well, they're going to be in the presence of brilliance. Now, how you are able to bring that out will be, remains to be seen. It just doesn't jump out, you know. You don't just snap your fingers and you're in the, pre- you know. So... They can expect uh, humor. They can expect tears, joy, and tears. And I'm more, sure. And more tears. <laughs> and they can jeers. And my irritation uh, will absolutely wow them at times. And. Um, I don't. I think they, it's hard to say what they can expect. Well, Just okay. Let's anything. let's inform everyone what kind of things we're going to be talking about content-wise. We're going to certainly try to highlight an aspect of the Old Town Ale House's history, of a history segment. We are certainly going to try to offer people a recap of what happened in the bar last week because sometimes it's kind of unbelievable the the degenerates that come through here and. The idiocy that well, I would happens. call them eccentrics, not degenerates. All right. Well, you say tomato, I say tomato. Um, we will discuss. Um, you're going to have your little Walter Jacobson moment, where you're going to have probably a political editorial of some sort, where you're going to exude your opinions. Oh, let me tell you a cute little oh, anecdote shit. about Walter Jacobson. Um, he was a bat boy for the Cubs. Did you know that? No, I did not. Skippy. They called him Skippy. And the players used to throw their jock straps at him. And they make fun of Skippy. Why? Because he's a little creep. That's not nice. 
I should also say that Bruce and I are very different-minded people, and I am not going to take responsibility um, for Bruce's comments. So Bruce's comments also do not reflect my own opinion. This is Pub Crawlers, by the way. Uh, so I'm just going to put that out in the open, and I probably will have to repeat myself every podcast to remind the listeners that I do not necessarily buy into your opinions or comments. Well, okay. So continue on with Skippy. Well, I, I, I don't know if this is the correct form to describe his uh, pedophile brother. And probably a lot of people don't know who Skippy is anymore. He hasn't been in, in the media for quite a while. However, if any of the listeners are really interested in hearing about uh, Skippy's pedophile brother, Larry, they should send us a... By the way, how can they contact us? Do we have an email or anything? Uh, we will We will provide contact information in the next podcast. How's that? Because it's an interesting story. Um, Chicago story. Okay. Well, that's, that's some food for thought. Yeah. Uh, another segment we will have is a guest segment. Well, we'll have... Uh, anyone from Street Jimmy, who is our beloved regular homeless man. I wouldn't say beloved. Well, again, by depends on who you talk to. I think you pretty much talk to anybody and you'll never hear the word beloved. I like it, Jimmy. Beloved? He's kinda like a he's kinda like a, a bunion. Um more like a canker sore. Yeah, sometimes it's a little irritating, but, you know, it's just a part of you. Well, as I like to describe when I used to write my daily blog on what was happening in the alehouse, and we've lost, we've lost Ruben Fortos to the Grim Reaper, but, and then Danny Faggy Pants. Fancy then, Pants. Then we changed to Fancy Pants because we want to be a little politically correct. Danny Fancy Pants kind of had, was given his walking papers, even though it broke my heart to see him go. Um, but I used to describe those as my three children. And God took left Street Jimmy in the oven too long. He took Fancy Pants out of the oven too quickly, but he left Reuben Fortos in the oven just perfectly. That's how you like to describe them. So there are going to be some people out there who have read your blog and know all these characters, and there are going to be some people who don't know who you are and maybe have just heard about you and the bar and all of these antics through word of mouth. So we'll cover, um, we'll go through all the cast of characters uh, from the past and the present. So expect that. Okay. And uh, like I said, guest segments. Uh, from again, anywhere from Street Jimmy to maybe well, we'll one definitely of the, have Fancy Pants as a guest. Sometime. Yeah, or one of the bartenders, or more well-known people like Michael Shannon, who comes in here. Well, we might give him a break. We might give him a plug if if he's lucky. We'll consider but, consider uh, his presence. Yeah. Uh, so there'll be that, and then of course we'll have mailbag, right? Where listeners can send us some questions or comments, and we will address those questions or comments. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to mailbag. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Because, I mean, you've got to remember that I think I'm close to some kind of record on Facebook because I've been suspended over 50 times. My last two for 30 days, which is really um, offensive and 
What, you, what are our language restrictions on our podcast? Mm, Anything? I, I Can I know. say Mark Fuckerberg? Mark Fuckerberg um, has it in for me. But I warned him. I warned him after number 56 suspension, there'd be problems. And about a month later, he was before a congressional committee. I'm not saying it was because of me, but I'm not saying it wasn't because of me. You're like a regular Al Capone. I well, may have done, I may have been involved in the St. Valentine's Day massacre, but I may not have. Um, exactly. Exactly. So, it, you know, one of the things that shocks me is that you are, how old are you now, Bruce? I'm going to be, well, which, on my ID, it says I'm going to be like 86. I've got to change my ID. But my, my legit age is 78. Okay, so, I will, will be 78 in June. So you're going to be 78 next month. Yeah. 78 and years young. on a scale of 0 to 10, rate your technological savvy. Half. One to half. <laughs> okay, one and a half stars. Not right. one and a half, just half. Oh, a half. Yeah. Okay, so a half. On a scale of zero to ten, you're a half. Technological, technologically savvy. Having said that, I have never met someone so dependent on Facebook. Every time you get suspended, you get your panties in a wad. Yeah, but now I'm on uh, Twitter. So I have an alternate... Um, yeah, but you get really upset whenever something bad happens on Facebook. Well, because that's how I communicate with people. I mean, I, I can barely use this. my phone. I can barely use my iPhone. I you don't, don't know how to send text messages. No. Yet you're so knee-deep in Facebook. Yes, but it's easy for... On Facebook, there's a little a little red thing comes up, messages. You just hit it, and then you can see what people oh, are sending Oh, that's funny, you. because half the time I'm waiting for your answer to my message. If I'm napping, oh, right. because I have a very serious autoimmune uh, problem... Which requires a number of, uh, a number of uh, naps. Okay, let's actually. This is a great a great uh, introduction to who are you? Why don't you tell us who you are? Bruce is my name. Oh, God. Crime is my game. Pussy's my fame. AKA. Geriatric genius. Okay, so Bruce Elliott is the geriatric genius. Yeah. One of the proprietors of the Old Town Ale House in Old Town Chicago. Let's give everyone. I'm, I'm more of a mascot. Yeah, you are a mascot. You're right. Oh. Let's give everyone a little background on, on your presence uh, with the bar. How did you come to uh, encounter the bar? How did you come to own it? Well, my girlfriend. By the way, I've written uh, two wonderful books, which uh, the L Houses plays a prominent role in both. Well, the first book is uh, Last Night at the Old Town Ale House, which is kind of about half my blogs and half new, uh, new material. And then Portrait of the Genius's Young Man is from 1961 to 1967. And in 1961, my girlfriend moved right around the corner from the Ale House, from Upper's Grove. And so I just followed her, her right to Old Town and started coming into this unbelievably great bar called the Old Town Ale What year is this? Uh, 1961. The bar itself opened in 58, so it was fairly new, but quite different than is now was classical music. And um, on weekends, people would come in in tuxedos. It was kind of a slightly upscale crowd, although there was a blue-collar after-work crowd, too. But lots of actors... Um, 
musicians, uh, artists, lots of artists. Um, so it was a very strong gay contingent. They didn't call it gay in those days. They called each other fags, queers, and homos. All right. That was the way they talked. They, they still do. Yeah, I know, but now they're thrown, thrown in gay. I think gay is politically correct. I think it's homosexual, isn't it? I don't know. What the heck? No. Right. Well, we, what do you care about politically correct? Well, I certainly don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so, you're hanging out here drinking a 1961, listening to classical music. What are you drinking at that time? Uh, you could buy... Well, I, I cultivated the taste in cheap beer. Still. Um, and let me just tell people what dr- Bruce is drinking right now. Yeah, but you might, you might explain why okay. I have to. We'll get to that later. I'm just going to explain what you're drinking. All he right. has a... Uh, a 16-ounce pint glass full of ice, and he pours Bud Light into it. We call it the... Polish Martini. This is what Bruce is drinking. So back in 61, would have been just the beer sans the ice? We, a, a stein of beer, a stein of light beer was a quarter. Dark beer was 30 cents. Okay, so... You're hanging out here for how many years after 1961? I hung out here until 1967 when I had to leave town quickly. That's all in my book, Portrait of the Genius of the Young Man. Which Why I had to leave town quickly. However, I think if you look at the, the big picture here, because I, I would always come back every, every, every you know, a couple times a year. I had a little uh, scam going with plane tickets, so I was able to travel a lot. Um, but... I've shown I'm kind of an inspiration to to a, a, a classic Irishman. If you're drinking a bar long enough, they eventually give it to you. Which they did. Which they did, yes. So you you are drinking here until '67. You have to leave in a hurry for a legal activity that you're involved well, in. We, we, we won't. We won't judge. get into it right now. We won't describe this. There were other factors. There was some of the things I had to leave town for were, were technically legal. Did it involve women? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So either illegal activity and probably doing something horrific to some woman, some poor, innocent oh, no, woman. No. She was hardly innocent and uh-huh. was hardly horrific. Okay. She was very vindictive. So you take off and go to? Uh, Berkeley. Okay. And then you end up going to school there? I ended up going to school, yeah. So then you end up in California for how many years? I was from in California from 19... 19- 67 to 1966, and when I got out of jail, California said it was time for me to go back to Chicago. Okay, so you're, you go from drinking in a bar to having to leave in a hurry to going to college to go going to jail to having to I come graduated back to Chicago. Phi Beta Cap at, uh, <laughs> from the University of California. Is that code too. for something? Uh, it's code for being real smart. Okay, I, I want to make sure it wasn't some other. Yeah. You're not working like in a parallel universe. Okay, so then you have to leave California as quickly as you had to leave Chicago the first time. Well, the California was nice enough to drive me to the airport. <laughs> okay, and then you come back to Chicago and arrive what year? In '76. Okay, and so then you come back to the alehouse and start drinking here oh, again. Oh, absolutely! Didn't miss a beat. Okay, so that brings us to what year when you finally get the bar? Um, about I'd say about 12 years ago, 14 years. 
Oh, I'm a, I'm a I'm a historian. I'm a writer. I don't I don't, I don't do math. What year was that? Well, do I do math? Look at me. Can anyone subtract 14 from 2018? What was that? 20 2004. Yes. Sounds about little right. Victories, little victories. Little victories. Um, right. Okay, so how? Why did the owners decide to just give you a bar? Well, because first of all. Especially when you had a reputation for doing illegal things and treating women like shit. No, I didn't treat women like shit. I adored women. Nobody was a bigger a bigger feminist than me. I've lived off women my entire life. Nobody ever wanted them to have, make more money than I did. I mean, I wouldn't say I exactly ironed, ironed their outfits before they went to work, but almost. Before you pushed them out the door, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Almost. I, and I th- I've often said there's nothing sexier than seeing... A woman coming home from work. Okay. Uh, had I owned a bar, I don't think I would have given it to you, Well, is all I'm saying. That's because you're not very smart then. True. Because, think, I mean, my God, I'm a one-man publicity stunt. Think about it. Just think how wonderful I am. I mean, when's Every the last time, when's the last time you were mentioned on Jimmy Fallon? Come on, please. We'll get to that. Okay, so you get the bar, you are given the bar, and you and Toby, we should say, Toby, your ex-wife. I would say that given the fact that um, because You're not of in this my, game alone. No, but I mean, because it had to be in her name. Very similar, by the way, to the previous owners, Arthur and B. Everything was in B's name. So let's talk a little about Arthur and B. This is the history moment, right? Arthur and B, tell us about them and how they had the bar. Well, Arthur, the, the guy that... And invented the Yale House was a guy named E.J. E. Van Gelder. He was brilliant at building bars and hiring bartenders. He was a colossal asshole. He was cheap. And everybody basically hated his guts. But the good thing about him was he'd take off for six months every winter and go to Mexico. So when he'd come back, and um, there wouldn't probably every quarter was in the in the cash register should be. I mean, the guy, he has some great bartenders. Hmm. Uh, the original Ale House bartenders. And um, so then he kind of thought that Old Town was going the wrong way. So he bought a bar up on Lincoln Avenue. So that's going to be the new hot neighborhood. And it kind of was for a while. Do you know what the name of that bar was? Yeah, John Barleycorn. Oh, sure. Yeah. And they had classic music and stuff like that. Um, so the guy that bought the bar from Van Gelder was a moron named Joe Diaz. And he looked like Lord Beaverbrook, and he talked like Street Jimmy. I mean, the guy was a complete retard. Oh, oh we shouldn't say retard. Moron. Um, so he screwed the bar up so horribly within a year that a group of hipsters, there was a hip, hipster bar called... I think hipsters were around back in the oh, 50s hell, or 60s. Oh, are you kidding? This is hippies, hippies. No, no, no. I think no, you're confusing no. the two different no, things. No, 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 no. Tell me what a hipster was in 1950-whatever. What's happening with your head, dude? That's a, that's a, that's a beatnik. No, no, no. Yeah, beatniks, that's a beatnik. No. Beatniks were an inferior form of life. They, they were, no, hipsters were hip. Jive, jazz. What's the, okay, so wait, hang on. What's the difference between a hipster and a beatnik from 1959? Well, they, there was a merge. They probably merged. But but hipsters dressed a little Hipnics. more sporty. I mean, the beards, you know, the beard, the, the long hair. Because you know hipsters so. are a thing today, right? They, they have they, beards and have tight pants. 
Yeah, but these guys had... They're probably working a brewery. Pencil mustaches, berets. That's a beatnik. No, I'm going to show you some pictures of what it is. Yeah, they wear berets. They they smoke cigarettes. Okay. I'm calling them hipster. So there was a bar called uh, Figaro's. Figaro's, uh uh-huh. And all these... uh, Drug, druggies, druggy, hipster, jazz freaks. Uh, it was that type of bar. Well, Arthur uh, was one was a legendary bar, bartender at Figaro's, and there were some other ones. He got a group of, and there again, I think the word degenerate would be more appropriate. He got about five or six of his de- most degenerate friends. And they got the money together and bought the bar from Joe Diaz. And then it was just one cluster fuck after another. I mean, these guys, nobody would put any money in the register. Um, and it, it, it was kind of in shambles. And then the bar caught fire, uh, on fire shortly after. And the... Uh, and kind of a legendary move. This the bar we're in right now was a butcher shop called Peach Butcher Shop, and Arthur made a deal with whoever had the place at that time. They carried the bar out in the middle of North Avenue. About thirty of his biggest drunk friends and associates. They carried it out. Carried in. Practically didn't miss a beat. So to be clear, the original Old Town Ale House was, was on the, the was on the southwest corner right. of North and Waveland. It was Sorry, about, Wheeland. About fifty feet away. I got Cubs on the brain. Uh, north and Wheeland. Yeah. And then the fire happened in nineteen seventy eight. No, no, around seventy three. Somewhere, somewhere around seventy. Okay. And they literally carry it across the street. No, yeah, well, they had to block the street. They had to pull it. Nobody knew how to disassemble it. So they just pulled it, walked right out in the middle of the street, and then walked it right in the door. Okay. And that happens, and then it's been at this location ever since. Because yeah. they decided that they yes. didn't need to move back. The temporary move was going to be permanent. Well, no, and the good thing is because everybody laughed at being art when, they, when this building went condo, and they bought... They bought it as a condo, so they own it, so they control. Yeah. I mean, so that was not dealing with a landlord. So, all right, so we've got BNR owning it since the seven, since 1970. Well, no, no, a lot of things had to happen. Arthur did, and he had. I mean, this the the collection of of these of his partners are hard to describe. One of them, um, Jim Stein, he was the accountant. And um, he'll kind of become, he's kind of legendary now because about six, seven years ago, he had his, he finally got married. I mean, he was not really the kind, he was, he was not like me. He was not a chick magnet. But Stein finally found a woman that, that kind of liked him. Lucky and, guy. But she was uh, kind of an Anne Frank situation. She'd been hiding in the attic over in Holland during the, the war. Fuck? Yeah, she was kind of lame, and she had horrible mental problems as a reaction. So anyway, about five or six years ago... No wonder ago, she fell in love with him. I read in the Sun-Times about murder-suicide in the cemetery out in Highland Park. And Stein Stein had um, driven... What the hell was her name? 
Anyway, he drove her out and blew her brains out and then shot himself. He was one of the partners. He was the accountant. So slowly, the partners are dying off. Well, or they they sold out. Okay. And then it's ultimately just Art and B. Well, no. B was not part of the original group. Finally, it was Arthur and brought B in. B kept buying people out when they wanted to sell. And then the final... There was this horrible woman named Betty the Bitch Thompson. And Betty the Bitch married a judge. And the judge said she couldn't keep her... She was one of the most horrible human beings that ever drew breath. And if um, she would have kept... The bar would have been destroyed. If she, but her husband said, you got to sell your piece because it looks bad for me at being a judge. Mm-hmm. So B bought, bought, uh, bought her out. So ultimately, B... Ends up with all the shares, being be in art, end up with all the shares. I mean, so they've got to borrow. And then okay. they got old. And they needed somebody to just kind of drive them around, do stuff. So, because. Was that I, the first job you ever had? Well, it wasn't really a job. I mean, it just showed up. And I, I refused to take any money for it. Um, she, I think she was secretly giving Toby money. For what I was doing. I just drive around, they'd have lunch. We'd all have lunch after we do our stuff, go to the bank and stuff. And, uh, but then. Would you say these were the beginnings of your mascot abilities, responsibilities? Well, I started doing some of my artwork then. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I guess you could say that. But Arthur, so. Arthur was the mascot, though. Arthur was the uh, so would you personality say that, would of Would you bar. say that today, Toby really runs a show, and you're the mascot? Would no, you I, say? No, I wouldn't say that. Toby thinks she runs a show. Okay, well, I let her. I let her think she runs a show. Would you say that? I'm that the was, mastermind. Would you say that that was the exact same thing that Art and B were doing? B no, was Ar- the Arthur. Show? Arthur was even more incompetent than I was. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. Yeah, he was. Holy shit. Okay, so <clears throat> they're on the way out. You're doing some things well, for them. Well, the way out is the Grim Reaper. Right. That's, well, that's my because nice way of saying because that. Beatrice, I drove Beatrice to Evanston Hospital. It was on her birthday. And um, so she said she'd be about an hour and a half. So I was going to walk over. I was starting to walk over to the uh, Evanston uh, North, Northwestern campus. And um, all of a sudden I get a call before I can get there. And B says, come back and get me. So she doesn't tell me anything until we get to um, LaSalle Drive. And she says, well, I had breast cancer about 20 years ago. I didn't quit smoking. Now I've got stage four lung cancer. And, oh, that's not good. She said, it's funny. Everything like this happens on my birthday. She said, when I was married to Arthur... Um, Arthur took me to Andy's, that restaurant over, I uh, was a State or Dearborn, uh, De- Dearborn, I think. And um, he, t- we, he takes me to dinner, and um, he tells me he's leaving me for Sandy Valentine. I, I said, why did he do it like that? She said, well... On her birthday? On her birthday. Classy guy. Well, she said... He was told that if he did it in public, I wouldn't be able to do anything to him. 
and then she wouldn't talk anymore. So, but he chose to do it on her birthday. That's my point. Well, but get this: this is what, how Arthur responded. Because I saw, I said, you know, Arthur, I've always realized you were a really disgusting human being, and had absolutely no moral center whatsoever. However, telling Beatrice you're going to divorce her uh, or leaving her for Sandy Valentino on her birthday, he said, Bruce, I didn't know it was her birthday. <laughs> Are you sure that Art wasn't your biological father? Uh, by the way, his biological son did show up uh, mysteriously. Which, uh, what the hell was his name? He he he, he had that seven-mile ex-con stare when he showed up. But the reason he knew Arthur was his father, Arthur, and by, well, I'll tell some other Arthur story some other. But the son shows up. His mother's name was Jinx or Trix or something like that. And they were from Minnesota. And um, so the mother thought she was dying. So on her, what she thought was her deathbed, she confesses to, to the one kid. says, your real father's a guy named Art Kluger in Chicago. So what was his name? Anyway, he shows up. Now, he... he this was not somebody that Arthur was, you know, they, the, the kid liked baseball. He wasn't a kid either. He was a roofer. But they really had nothing to say. I mean, it was just kind of awkward. But Hi, af Dad. after Arthur died, after Arthur died, it, what was his name? I keep forgetting his name. He showed up, and he said, Hey, Bruce, I want you to meet Arthur's grandson. The kid was a absolute ringer for that picture you see of Arthur on the wall. Oh, really? If Arthur ever, a kid was gorgeous. Really good looking kid. Arthur would have given him everything he had. I mean, the kid was so, you know, that was just Arthur's dream grandchild. So Imagine if you saw a picture of some random person pop up and they look just like you. Imagine. That's a whole other story. Yeah, well. <laughs> so, okay, this Art and B story, the origins of the Old Town Ale House, Incredibly layered, incredibly complicated, which well, is a perfect, perfect example of what this bar is. Well, it is. And if, if you realize how many people had to fuck up on, on a major level for Toby and me to end up here. <laughs> I mean, just had to do absolutely homicidal maniac behavior to... For, to eventually uh, filter down, at least twenty people had to just do major screw ups. So you're just you are justifying my earlier comment of I would never have given a bar to you. Well, you wouldn't. I wouldn't be the first choice. No. Yeah. Or the I, I seventh can see that. or twenty ninth or well maybe the maybe the hundred second maybe the twentieth. All right. So you so again Art and B for the next phase. Grim Reaper shows up. You guys get the bar because well, there's you're a nice funny people. Story. There's a funny story about that, too. Because Beatrice, um, she was going to, you know, she's dying. She's got a, they gave her approximately a year to live. And ironically, she died on her birthday a year later. But, so well, that birthday thing kept kind of following her. So she expected everybody to kind of, you know, take care of her. And um, Toby... And my daughter Grace were at her side morning, noon, and night for the last three or four months of her 
of her life, along with a couple of hospice nurses who stole everything that wasn't nailed down out of her apartment. So, um, but six months after B is diagnosed with terminal cancer, and she was smart. She just didn't want any, none of this life prolonging bullshit that they, your, your quality of life is horrible, but they can keep you alive. She said, no, no, no. So um, Arthur, I get a call from the bar. Johnny L., one of the bartenders, says, Arthur wants you to come over. Something's wrong. So I went over to his house. He said, I think I'm having a heart attack. Well, I mean, you know, probably calling the ambulance would have been smarter. But he says, no, no, I want you to take me to the hospital. So I run down the street. I get a cab. Arthur gets in the cab. We drive to Northwestern. Northwestern won't uh, come out and get them. They said, I have to put them in the wheelchair, and once I do that, get them, then they'll take care of it. So now i got to drag them out and put them in the wheelchair. Well, they've just barely saved his ass then. I mean, everybody's congratulating some young doctor that saved him. So... He was coherent the next day, but, well, before that, though, I had called, and I didn't feel like she called B at night, so in the, in the morning, I said, B, I had to take Arthur to the hospital, he had a major heart attack. She's that dirty son of a bitch, he had to upstage me, that dirty, rotten bastard. And when he died, and she, oh, and then she had the power of attorney, because eventually they have pull the plug but she, she couldn't find the power of attorney to pull the plug so so um, anyway she, she eventually found it she says okay let's put that puppy out of his misery so we went over such a healthy relationship well you know that's what bar life does to you per- it wasn't perfect but actually she was very loyal to him she always gave him his cut and um, now they actually they actually, in, in their own way, because Beatrice, um, she had she's had a series of really even far worse men than Arthur, and one of them um, had, was some kind of doing some kind of roadie work for the Rolling Stones. So being um, her husband, not boyfriend, uh, traveled with the Rolling Stones, and from that day on, Beatrice would never allow rock and roll on jukebox. She hated rock. Rock stars so horribly after spending a, a whole season with the Rolling Stones. Well, you know, I'm more of a Beatles person, so I get it. Well. Okay, so to wrap this up, you guys get the bar in 2004 after those two, after she pulls a plug on Art and she passes away. Correct? Uh, yes. All right, and here we've, we've sat here as one of the proprietors of the bar since then. Well, as the... A star. Okay, the shining star. The shining star. So, in sum, the Old Town Ale House was founded in 1958, started uh, by Van Gelder across the street. So he and the next owner, a couple of immigrants, right? Immigrants. Were they immigrants? No. No. They were locals, neighborhood people. Well, they were, yeah. I mean, they were more hipster... Near Wait, though, these, they were part of the beatnik crowd? Uh, hipster crowd. No, I, let's... You're would you conf- call you're Lenny Bruce, would you call Lenny Bruce a beatnik or a hipster? A beatnik. No. Yes. He was a hipster. I think you're confusing no, your words. Your ter- no, 
absolutely. Lenny Bruce, who was loved Arthur, he would just Arthur would crack him up. I, Lenny Bruce would always come over to Figaro's and uh, whenever he was over at Mr. Kelly's, just to hang out with Arthur. He, uh, What's the famous quote Lenny Bruce used to say? I never met a dyke I didn't like. No, the other one. Um, in the halls of justice, the only ju- justice is in the halls. No, the other one. About the mud. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, when people ask me the difference between... I always quote Lenny Bruce when people ask me the difference between men and women. Lenny Bruce summed it up very well when he said, Between nothing and mud, men will fuck mud. Women will not fuck mud. Okay. Um, so that gives us a good groundwork for the alehouse. Locals, beatniks, and a con-womanizing no, uh, artist. Uh, no, women have preyed upon me. There's no womanizing involved in this. Women have taken advantage of me in my whole life. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I'm sure we'll get to that in a future podcast. I'm not a womanizer. Let's play off that. Let's that. Well, you've had a girlfriend for a couple of, for a year now, huh? Yes. How's that going? I think for um, I tell her every day, you fell out of a lucky tree and hit every branch on the way down. I, uh, I, 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 whenever I see Ruth, I... I can see the envy in your eyes. Yeah, I, I think, I think that whenever I see Ruth, lucky tree branches. So as also a part of our, um, podcast, we will have guest segments and uh, it's going to be a variety of different uh, walks of life. And one person that will probably get on at some point, if he's lucky, will be Michael Shannon, actor Michael Shannon. And he was just on Jimmy Fallon talking about the Ale House. Yes. Oh, by the way, well, I, I must... I was given credit for taking that viral photograph of him watching the Oscars in the Old Town Ale House. But Ruth, our executive producer, rock and roll And Ruth, your girlfriend. And my girlfriend. Um, the luckiest girl in North America. Um, she was the one that actually took the photograph. Of course, I'm the one that told her to take the photograph, given that I don't know how to work those iPhone cameras. Of course, yet you're addicted to Facebook. Well, that's, that is ironic, but my daughter set things up for me. Roger Ebert was the one that insisted that she show me how to have a, a, a blog. So I, but I said, well, I don't even know what the hell one is. So he, so he talked to Grace, and my daughter fixed it up. So all I have to do is press button one, turn it on, and then button, button, and then I can insult instead of insulting ten, fifteen people a day, I can, I can insult thousands of people a day on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, and then I'm so happy I taught you how to use Twitter. Well, now I, yeah, because I've gotten into, I can now insult lots of celebrities. Yeah, I don't understand this. This is not. Well, they they deserve it. I mean, I, I never do it if it's not deserved. Um, okay, so we should also quickly mention the fact that your blog is really what has brought you some, uh, I guess, notoriety in a way. And the reason for that really was because of Roger Ebert, who was one of your best friends. Roger was the 
person that said that I was born to write a blog. And uh, how so did he, you befriend Roger Ebert? I actually in, in this bar, in 1966, I think it was when he came from Champagne. When he came from Champagne to um, to Chicago, he was going to go to the University of Chicago, and then he got a job at the Sun Times. It was kind of a little haphazard thing. Anyway, so I met him the first time, but I never, did not get to know him particularly well until I came back to Chicago in '76 because he'd become. I had this uh, Irish Irish friend named John McHugh, who was a journalist, and. Um, from an authentic uh, Mick, and he became Arthur, uh, Roger's best friend while I was gone. So, but basically, McHugh left me for Roger, <laughs> and uh, so uh, Roger was cheating on you, or McHugh was cheating McHugh, on you. McHugh was cheating on me with clearly. Roger. Yeah, but Roger loved McHugh, and McHugh had this huge family over in Ireland, and Roger loved going over to Ireland with him, and so. Um, this is all, by the way, in my book, Portrait of the Genius. Which is available man. at the Old Town Ale House or on Amazon.com. Amazon, too, yeah. Okay, wait, hang on, pause, because I'm trying to get my timelines correct. When did Roger get famous? Well, I mean, he, he was famous from... He, the Sun-Times didn't have um, a uh, regular movie critic. What they did, they had a generic name. And whoever was available, they'd just send a review a movie, and they'd use that name. So Roger, the guy named Bob Zonka, was one of the editors down there, gave him the, said, wait, let's have a movie reviewer. Well, Roger was a terrific writer. He was an excellent writer. So he um, quickly built up a real big following in Chicago with his movie reviews. And the thing about what, I think what made him such a great critic was the guy just loved movies. If you go over to his house years later, He'd show movies. I mean, he just loved movies. So um, he was famous in Chicago. But then when. What year, like, what years approximately is this? Oh, certainly in the 70s. Like mid 70s? Late 70s? Oh, yeah. oh, All right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so once, he once became. He started he, his column. He was. Okay, so he became famous through his column. But not, not nationally or internationally. Just locally. Locally. But then when. Um, I, think her, I think it was Thea Flom was the. I, put them, uh, Siskel and Ebert, on uh, Channel 11, which is the educational channel. Yeah, and that was a local show first, right? Well, no, they... They, they went national right away? Yeah, NPR. Or, uh, t- or, uh, uh, PBS, PBS. PBS, PBS, yeah, moved it. And uh, so that, yeah, that really caught on. And it was, it was, they hated each other, but they realized what they had. So that's when he really became famous. And he'd start bringing... Movie actors into O'Rourke's and here. I always wonder if those Muppet characters were uh, were about those two. About those, I, I never, you know what I'm talking about? The two grumpy old men, I, I, Muppet I, characters on the Muppets? I, that's I, what I grew up with. Yeah, well, that's right. I, I always feel, thought it was Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel. Uh, Why? Growing up with the Muppets? Yeah, I had a great childhood. Oh, God. Muppets were fantastic. Okay, well, that explains a lot. Um, so yeah, Roger was so Roger was really big deal. So you knew you guys were friends before he became locally yeah. a local celebrity. Oh yeah, and I of course, given my personality, I used to because you know Roger was fat and uh, kind of socially inept about certain things. 
So I, you know, and plus this is a bar culture. Everybody made fun of everybody, and nobody was, you know. And even when he became real famous, I would make fun of him constantly, you know, fat jokes, whatever. You no. And um, we were constantly arguing. Well, what he is very clever. He befriended my mother, and he would invite my mother to all, <laughs> all his parties and stuff. So, of course, my mother wouldn't allow me to say anything bad about it. So then I'm getting in fights because people are bad-mouthing Roger, and I'm punching people. And it was, Yeah, he was clever about that. He turned me around. <laughs> That's good to know. But anyway, so he was the one that he kept bugging me. You got to write a And I did not realize until I saw the article in the New York Times that he had 2.5 million people following him a day. Yeah. On the internet. He's kind of a big deal. Blog. I mean, about cultural things. I mean, not Justin Bieber. I mean, this is somebody. So. Justin Bieber? Well, he's got like 100,000. That guy's a clown. I mean, 100 million or something. Yeah, but the, but a serious person with that kind of following. Yeah, so back Roger, then it was a big Roger deal. Roger would plug me. I remember one time I got 60,000 hits for something. And your blog? Yeah. Because he said something. Yeah. Gave me a plug. And that's how Anthony Bourdain discovered me. Right. So then the next phase is that Roger Ebert told Anthony Bourdain mm. about your blog, or he mm. just told him to read it. No, Roger would write about my blog. Oh. On his blog. And that's what Anthony followed him. Got it. So that's why I get the plugs, because Roger would write, oh, you got to describe one of the stories. Now, Roger knew a lot of the people I was writing about. And, uh, the characters at yeah, the bar. Yeah, he knew about it. Sure. And by you know, Roger couldn't talk at this point, and he, so he was basically confined to his computer. I mean, that was his social life. I mean, he said, "What's he, your excuse?" Um, I'm old now. <laughs> I can't go out and hustle on the golf course, or you know. And of course, yeah. I have a girlfriend, so I can't chase pussy. But I can't chase pussy anyway because the pussy. Doesn't respond to me chasing. Oh, oh, I thought you were a chick magnet. I was. Oh, was past I'm, tense. I'm, I'm an emeritus chick magnet. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's going to be your new business card, emeritus chick magnet. Yeah. Um, okay, so then of course Anthony finds you. You've been on two or three of his shows. Three, right? No, two. Two, two. Yeah. The one where he had layover, with layover, and then, and then now parts, parts unknown. Chicago. Which, if anyone has watched the Chicago Parts Unknown show, which debuted last year, two years ago, shit, I don't remember I anymore. It's two years. Two years ago, um, the show amazingly was mostly about the ale house. Well, as I as I pointed out to, uh, they had a pre screening uh, party. At Beguile, yep. At Beguile. And Beguile at, Brewing. And after we saw the the uh, film of it, or the video of it, I got. they asked me to say something. I said, well, I wanted to thank Anthony for the first time in his career for playing my sidekick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pretty shocking. If you ever watched any of his shows, he has segments of different people and places, but then once those segments are over, it's over. Whereas for the Chicago show, he kept coming back to the Ale House and to you, because he must be crazy. No, he's not. He's a, he's a very smart judge of talent. It was by, a good show. By I will the say. way, by the way, I, a lot of people do not. I, I mean, people just know him now by TV. Yeah. The reason he got his TV gig was his book. Book, yeah. I and mean, he's written several books. 
guy is Kitchen really, Confidential. That guy is really a good writer. I mean, that, yeah. that book is really, I was, I, I couldn't put it down when I started reading it. And I was fortunate enough so he, to... So he understands good writing, which yeah. is why... That's and you know why what's really cool, too, is as if, you, if you are a fan of someone, right, and you're always kind of like, oh, I wonder what they're like. I will say I was fortunate enough, along with uh, Kim and a few other uh, regulars and bartenders here, to be here for that filming and meet him. It was no accident. It was because I recommended you people You did. To you be did. Good. You're always looking out for so my... Let's, so let's... You're always get, looking out for me. Let's give credit where credit is You're due. the genius for yeah. so many reasons. And I'm, and I'm a really benevolent genius. Um, my point is that he uh, was so nice, and he is exactly who you think he is. He is. I mean, that's the one thing about if you're around some celebrities. So many of them are just such fake, such phonies. Speaking of, lots of celebrities have come through here. Which one had, do you think come through here was total phony, fake? Oh, Christ. Well, Jim Belushi, of course. Jim Belushi was just, what a piece of shit. Why? He was just, everything about him is a phony. I, I, I had to beat the shit out of him in here. I was just, uh, yeah, he's just a total, total, I wish he'd come back again. I'd like to beat the shit out of him again. <laughs> His brother was kind of interesting. His brother, I... I must have seen him. John in here. Belushi. Yeah, I've seen him. It was he was in here easily over a hundred times. I never once saw him smile. He just by over sit by the jukebox and kind of, you know, keep to himself. No, he'd be conducting drug deals and stuff. You know, like nobody knew who he was. It was kind of bizarre. Um, All righty. Other phonies. Uh, All right. I probably wasn't inclined to paint them if I thought they were a phone. Okay, so let's name a couple of other ones who are actually the opposite end of that spectrum. Who are some great couple of great ones? Well, as I told, of all the, uh, I did. I've got a whole wall painted of the famous actors and who spent time here. People, yeah, that spent time here, and um, I loved Gilda Radner. She was just so much fun. She was really nice. She seems like she'd be a good time. She was. She was great. And um, well, all the people, all the people that I put up on the on the wall, pretty much are um, people I liked. I but um, it's interesting because now that I'm now that I'm <laughs> going to be seventy eight, I think I'm the only one around that remembers people like Severin Darden and um, the original Betty Betty uh, or what's her name. Uh, Harris, Barbara Harris, and uh, Arkin, Alan Arkin, and those—they were the original cast over there. And um, so I was just a kid then. I mean, so, but they were those those guys were amazing. I always thought Severn Darden would be the biggest star to ever come out of there, but Alan Arkin was much bigger. Um, I like sitting in this East booth because it's close to. A comedian who I really sort of adored as a kid. That her painting is literally right next to this booth, and that would be Gilda Radner. Right. Um, she came in here, and was she funny? Was she nice? She's hilarious. She was not. She was hilarious. She was nice. She was just. She was. Um, I never got to know John Candy, but he was the same way. He just had everybody laughing at all times when he'd come in. Um, yeah, he. Um, but Gilda was great. Yeah, she was terrific. I'm looking forward to seeing that new documentary that I think is just coming out now called Love Gilda. 
So uh, we should think about showing that here at some point, maybe, unless there's some rights issues that we got to deal with. I'm sure there's rights issues. Well, we don't give a shit about that stuff, do we? It's the alehouse, th- goddammit. T- I think Toby, Cap- oh, right. Captain uh-huh. Ahab, might not like us playing fast and loose with... Uh, she well, can be she can be a tough cookie. Well, maybe what we can do then instead is get a group of us alehouse degenerates to go out and see the movie one night and then well, come back here and drink. Doesn't that make more sense to go to a goddamn movie theater? And no, see it? it makes sense for us Just to sit at the having, bar have and people, put our heads up in the and air and watch it here. Screaming and yelling and oh drunks, god, drunks have going into convulsions. No, I think we can avoid that. All righty then. Um, so. This was our inaugural podcast. It came to be because of the bar and because of Bruce's blog. And then I started, I guess, blogging on Bruce's blog and starting asking, started asking questions of the readers. And I put um, the idea of a podcast out, if anyone would be interested, because I felt as though we needed a different medium, something that was a little bit more, uh, let's say, you know, up with the times. And that would be a podcast. And amazingly, a lot of your readers said, absolutely, we want a podcast. So this is why we're doing this. Uh, I'm Pub Crawlers, and but you we're are... Also, wait a second. We're also, you have ulterior motives. You want to promote your, your business. I do. Well, of course. Why, well, Who doesn't have ulterior motives? Well, then start promoting. Go ahead before we sign off. If you want to have a tour of Chicago, who yep, else? Uh, so I'm a historian, and I look at history through the lens of alcohol, and so I do a lot of private talks and a lot of tours and public stuff. Uh, my website is historyontap.com. Uh, you can find out more about what I do there, and you can find out more about tours there. Uh, it will also probably be a vehicle for a lot of this blog, st- or sorry, uh, podcast stuff we're doing. Um, there's a lot happening this year with my stuff, my... Uh, goals to build the country's first beer museum of its kind and uh, work at the alehouse there's a lot of work to be done here um, so many stories so many great people it's a 60th anniversary this year we're going to try to have some sort of big party weekend and get some new merchandise that's not pornographic well, well you're working with Toby on there yeah right? yep okay. Toby's been great and we're going to try to get some merchandise that doesn't feature naked women um, what a, or what, other for, for nasty a, things. See, this is I'm 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 absolutely convinced that you're closet straight because your aversion to naked women. It really. I just it, am a very it, private person. I don't I think you should shocking. put these things out in public. And I also want to be able to walk around. Art. Art. No, art. Uh, art is in the eye of the beer holder. So. I want to be able to walk around with an alehouse T-shirt and not feel embarrassed or shamed. Well, you can't. Your your <laughs> little fellow Mexican, uh, <laughs> Ruben Forto. One of the T-shirts that is featured at the alehouse is a former regular who is now passed on to the big bar in the sky, Ruben, uh, and his image is of him as a young baby. He's a very fat young baby, and he was a very fat adult. Okay, in that's fact, neither here nor morbidly there. Morbidly obese. But the young baby is holding a martini glass and a cigarette. So I don't necessarily... I mean, it's a great little painting. It, it does sort of warm my heart when and I think it, of Ruben that way. And signature statement is when men were men. When That's men what were men. But again, I would rather have something a little bit different. So we're going to clean up the act around here for a little bit for the 60th anniversary. So we got a lot of planning to do for that. So we're going to be well, writing I just, blogs, I'm so I guess. excited. I just can't wait. I'm I know. So excited. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. 
So we're going to be sitting here writing blogs, doing some great things at the bar, having some podcasts. Uh, Rock and Roll Ruth, your girlfriend, is going to continue to... Executive producer. Let's keep this this, uh, professional. Okay. And then we got Jordan here, who is our super-duper executive producer. thank God somebody knows something about uh, podcasts because... Yeah, this is the blind leading the blind here. That's what we ought to call our show. Yeah. The blind leading the blind. I think that fits. Uh, well, it's... it's I, here I thought, you know, oh, hell, she just... There's, nothing, really, that, there's I, nothing that Pub Crawl Liz can't do. Well, I only turns out there's very little she can do, I appreciate your out. faith in me, yes, but I'm not technologically savvy. So, thank God for Jordan. And you're my go-to girl, and you're not That's technologically sad. savvy. That's sad. No, it's, I often it's, say it's, it's sad. It's frightening. It's frightening. Um... So there's a lot to expect out of this podcast, and we'll share some more information soon. We'll have our uh, intro song figured out pretty soon. Pretty soon. Um, and if there's anything anyone wants to find out or ask questions in the meantime. Or suggestions. We're, we're open to suggestions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find both Bruce and I on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Liz Garibay Shy, C-H-I. Bruce is at Jerry ja- Geriatric Genius. Um, we're on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Ask us questions that way, and then at some point we'll figure out an email address for people to mail us information. And I think the people that get on the ground floor of this this historical um, podcast, I think that you will, your grandchildren will say, you actually heard the first performances you, you think you were there oh I'm positive is that what this is a performance yes of course okay song and dance um all right so we'll uh wrap and, that and probably first. we should understand one star one show say that again one star one show that's showbiz talk when i was what doing, does that mean when i was doing broadway musicals um that's what is i that would some, say is that some girl's name when somebody tried to you know outshine me hey one star, one show. All right. Yeah. All right. So uh, but I'm willing to share the mic with you. I appreciate it. You've always been so kind and generous. A kind and generous genius. True. Uh, but just remember, after all I've done for you, you led me down the garden path thinking that you were a technological whiz. I didn't. You know, I was like you. I didn't say I did. I was, and I yes, didn't say did. I wasn't. Big difference. Uh, so that's the geriatric genius and the middle-aged genius. Uh, <laughs> all right, we'll uh, save more for the next podcast. But um, what do you want? How about some parting words from you, genius? Um, wasn't I wonderful? Thanks for tuning in, everybody. 